in these lockdowns, I've realized how important our restaurant is to so many people for their their memories, their celebrations, the little things that they really hold, hold close to them. And it's just been amazing to be delivering to people's houses and, and having a quick 30 second chat and seeing how excited they are to get this, this dinner um, for their home. And I'm just blown away by it. I absolutely love it. Today on Dirty Linen, we are talking to a very individual restaurateur someone who runs a restaurant it's been around for I think seven years now and it's a place that is just not like anywhere else from the very beginning when Oh My opened in Beaconsfield in Melbourne's outer southeast it was a restaurant that Melbourne just did not have it was new it was run by the Burton Cello brothers and it just felt so personal such a special place to be it's been through numerous incarnations each of them just has has such character and that it creates such a sense of place and such a sense of connection that I just love it and when I think about going back to restaurants and the kinds of experiences that I'm missing and that I'm hankering after oh my is one of the places that comes to mind so Chase thank you so much for coming along to have a chat today not a problem thanks for having me tell me about oh my what sort of project has it been over the years uh, it's been interesting. We opened um, when we, myself and my brothers were, were quite young. Um, we were sort of a bit over working for other people and we really just wanted to express our style of restaurant that we like. And uh, yeah, over the last, yeah, just over seven years now, it's been a, a pretty wild ride of uh, chopping and changing and uh, really just trying to sort of hone in on exactly what we want to do as a restaurant and exactly the story that we want to put forward to the to the guests and um yeah it's been a it's been a wild ride and and then obviously in the last uh six or so months it's been another challenge but it's it's something that we've been kind of pivoting for the last seven years anyway so this was just another little bump in the road that we have to work around and and try and <laughs> try and find a, a little bit of uh, joy and excitement out of it, whichever way we can. Wow, well, it's a it's a very impressive attitude. Um, let's just dig dig into a little bit more about you know what Oh My actually is. So, if I think about going there, you've you, so you've moved premises, you sort of moved next door and expanded ever so slightly. But I, the the thing that I that strikes me most when I think about the restaurant is how very personal the experience is. So, you know, you guys are, are there, you're very present um, and the dining rooms are small. So you don't, you know, feed a lot of people at once. It's also, uh, you know, it's a tasting menu. So there's, uh, you're sort of on, you're on, you take us on a journey and it's something that you construct very carefully but also in in response to the seasons and I think as you guys have developed your farm over the past few years that's become even more part of the project um tell us that's that's from my side as a lucky diner that's experienced the restaurant <laughs> what about from from your side what what was the project what what did you think a restaurant should be or could be uh, we we started just we wanted I know it sounds cliche and all that but we just wanted to have a restaurant that we would want to go to, um, simple food, um, things that w made sense that was meant to be there, uh, try and have the alcohol by people we know that we have a connection with. And over the years, that's sort of evolved a lot with, um, obviously Blaine and I 
getting a little bit more mature in how we approach the restaurant and how we want the restaurant to be. And since moving to um, obviously growing all of our own food ourselves, so all the fruit and veg, we haven't had to buy anything for the last almost four years, I reckon, um, maybe even a little bit longer and sort of restricting ourselves to only that, like whatever we can get from our farm and then going to small producers for our, our um, d- dairy and meats and sort of putting yourself with a lot of restrictions really makes you think differently about your product and your story and how you want to put it forward. And like we always say, oh, it'd be great just to have our all-star menu with all of our favorite things on it all the time. But I think like looking forward to those times in the year where those dishes are present on the menu and planning around growing all these things to put on the menu. It's been a, it's been great because it's, it's never, it's never boring. There's just, it's always changing. It's always different. Um, the prep lists are never just the exact same thing. Everyone's always doing um, different, interesting things. And then of course, having the farm, being able to like, everything starts there for us. So it's not so much, um, ticking the things on a, on a piece of paper that we want to be delivered next next week, that we want delivered next week. It's more, okay, we need to think 9, 10, 12 months ahead sometimes to to plan our menus and, and, and really get the most out of our farm. And um, I think since we moved into that mentality of only using what we can, can do and can get ourselves, um, <clears throat> it's sort of changed the whole the whole mindset of the restaurant restaurant moving into a real um, zero low to zero wastage approach uh, getting the most out of your ingredient seeing an ingredient three or four times across a menu to us doesn't doesn't phase us we, we'd want to show how pumpkin can be over uh, snacking sweet and savory and I think if you want to do a if you want to use pumpkin as an example but if you want to have that on a menu usually it's you see it once and then you go into the next thing, but for us, that's what we have at that time. So we just uh, we make sure we're showcasing it and using it, and and trying to just almost also just talk people through eating seasonally to some extent. I think that's such an important part of life because it is so easy just to go to the to Woolies and 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 get whatever fruit and veg you want and make dinner. But for us, we're going okay. It's artichoke season. We've got a lot of artichokes, so we're going to use them on the menu. So. I think it's just a it's a a really great learning curve for new people getting involved in the restaurant and seeing uh, our approach to things and we didn't open a restaurant to step out of it and let someone else run it. So Blaine and I have worked every service since we opened, um, and that's not because we have trust issues. It's just we really like working. We. <laughs> We love being in the. I love being in the dining room, and I love working across the pass from Blaine. And we've got a really good relationship and a really good understanding of each other's roles in the restaurant. And uh, there's a lot of respect there as well. And it helps being brothers, but it also we we've got a very similar mindset on on how we want our guests to sort of see our our restaurant and how we want them to uh, get involved while they're there and and sort of have a bit of an understanding when they leave that they've actually learned something maybe, or they've, they've seen something that they thought couldn't be done, but we don't want smoke and mirrors. We just want, um, real talk, real food and, and, and good booze. Yeah. Well, everything you're saying 
it's, it's very inspiring and exciting and it makes me think of a bunch of experiences uh, that I've had in the restaurant. You know, you mentioned pumpkin. It's one of the dishes that you have become known for because you do use the, there's, you know, there's broth, there's something with the skin, there's the seeds, there's the flesh. And um, it's impossible to eat like that across a menu and not think about pumpkin and not consider that there are different parts to it and not, you know, honour it in some way. Um, another thing that I that uh, I found very striking last time I ate with you was your approach to meat. So tell us about your um, your beef farmer and about the the concept of having a cow that you know by name in the cool room. <laughs> Yeah, it's it was definitely an interesting um, conversation the first time we we got to meet Jan and, and talk to her about what she's been doing at the, at her farm and uh, she dined at the restaurant and we had never we were getting really sick of just putting meat on the plate because we thought that's what we needed to do and and all those things so we actually went pretty much vegetarian apart from um, small bits here and there and using meat as a way of cooking vegetables. And I think that was pretty much, you'll probably hear this, but Blaine being quite stubborn in the in the sense, like, why do I need to put a piece of scotch beef on the plate? Why, why can't I, why can't I still fulfill people's um, needs, but, and, and show them vegetables. So yeah, Jan came along and uh, we took all the staff down there uh, one day. Uh, she's just in, in, in Gippsland. So she's only probably about 45, 50 minutes from the restaurant. Um, and yeah, the reception we got when we went there was just, it was just an amazing, amazing, thoughtful experience. We, it was completely free range. She knew every cow's personalities, their tendencies, their names. Um, it was just so amazing to see someone so involved in their craft and in their, it making this so much part of their life. And yeah, she agreed to, she'd never ever sold a cow to a restaurant before. So she agreed to. Uh, let us sort of, she'll choose the cow. Um, and then, yeah, we'd use, we'd get the cow delivered at the restaurant and we'd use every part of it over a, a probably a uh, seven to eight week span, depending on the time of year. Um, it means the menu has to adjust every week based on what what cut you're using and things like that. And I think some people did get pretty, it was quite confronting when we told people the name of the cow. Um, <laughs> but that was one of Jan's... Um, it was one of the fine prints on the contract was you got to tell people the names. And I said, oh, well, this is, uh, that's, that's your, that's what you do. So we'll honor it. And, um, yeah, some people don't want to know. So you, you definitely don't, you don't tell everyone, but I think she named one Chase and Blaine as well. So that was, <laughs> that was pretty weird. When she told me that I was a bit scared. I was like, oh, that's a bit much. Yeah, but, where is this relationship uh, going? <laughs> yeah, I know. I was sort of going, oh, okay. <laughs> we might have to have a sit down, I reckon. Um, <laughs> but no, nah, it's been a, it's been really cool. And she like we've we've got a similar relationship with the guys at uh, Bruzen Creek Pork as well, uh, down far east Gippsland. Um, and for us, it's about buying the whole animal in and using it to the to using every little part of it. Um, and it's. Again, like new people coming in, uh, new chefs, new front of house, seeing this side of cooking um, where all the food's coming from our own farm and, and a cow's been delivered by the person who farmed it um, is, a, is a pretty amazing thing. And uh, it can seem from the outside looking in that it's quite 
like you're putting way too many restrictions on yourself, but like restrictions are the, the things that have just kept kept us ticking and kept our mind ticking over to to get better and better. Well, yeah, so we come to restrictions and at the moment, you know, we're living in a 5K Melbourne. Uh, we are quite restricted in what we're allowed to do. You're not allowed to open your restaurant in the normal way. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting to hear you talk about restrictions as an opportunity and as, I guess, a spur for creativity. Um, so tell me how you guys have dealt with the pandemic. Yeah, so I um, I came into work one morning and Blaine uh, had all these big A3 pages all over the, all over the, um, the dining table. And I'm like, Oh God, he hasn't slept. I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> and he said, cause as soon as the A3 pages are out, I know there's something up. Um, so I walk, and I just said, Oh, so what's going on, mate? And he goes, Oh, this, uh, coronavirus thing's pretty, uh, pretty serious. And I been naive just went, Oh, I think like the rest of Melbourne, we were like that. I was like, Oh, come on, mate. It's not gonna be that bad. And he goes, well, even if it's not going to be that bad, we need to start planning now. And I think this is about seven, six, seven weeks before the first shutdown. Um, oh, that's ahead of I the said, curve. Yeah. Yeah. I said, okay, what do, we, what do you want to do, mate? And he goes, well, let's just um, lean on the farm and, and we'll, 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 we'll do that. So we're lucky that we didn't have to get rid of, like no staff were let go, which is great. Um, and yeah, we just leaned on the farm and, and lent on the farm, sorry, and yeah, we were doing about 120 farm boxes a week um, and then adding in the guys from the corner inlet fisheries. They were really struggling to um, sell any of their fish, so we started buying that as well and making seafood boxes. So we were doing about 150 boxes a week all up um, and it was a lot of work and it was, a, it was honestly, it was a pain in the ass. Was, I, I can't say it any other way. It was stressful. It was... and. We were, it seemed like we were working more, um, mm. but we weren't getting that end game of that adrenaline rush of a service. And I think we were all, because there was that weird novelty about that first lockdown where everyone was just like, oh, look at this, we're at home, we're doing this. And I think you add doing the boxes like we were on top of it, it, it did get quite stressful. I think it came to a day where I said to Blaine, listen, we've got a we're going to look at this in a, in a bit of a different light. This is a, this is a forced, like this is forcing me and you to slow down a little bit. Like we haven't slowed down a little bit in seven years. <laughs> like yeah, we need to, we need to take a bit of time. So we started just working things a bit differently on that. We got to reopen the restaurant and that was a pretty wild couple of weeks. It was, um, both the bar and the restaurant quite busy and obviously with restricted numbers. But I think this second lockdown's uh, been a lot different for us. We've really stepped back. We've really slowed down. Um, I know I'll speak for Blaine here. Being able to eat dinner at home every night with our partners has been amazing. Like I don't think I'll get this this opportunity to to have um, dinner with my fiance seven nights a week uh, ever again. Uh, so it's sort of we've seen it in a bit of a different light. We're really just trying to chill out do some gardening at home, um, but also work three days a week um, with the staff to, to produce the, the at-home boxes. So it's been, uh, it's been quite interesting. It's, yeah, I mean, really interesting. Are, are there things, I mean, you've had this experience now of having dinner at home. Do you feel like that 
you it's just going to be that thing that you it was like oh that was so fun and weird and nice but yeah I won't do that again or do you think you will try to build some more of that into the future well I think we will like uh, I think we don't want to our, our hours at the restaurant are already um, pretty pretty good for for everyone we we only do four days of, of actual operations so I think it's then going to slow us down on the days we are closed I think we'll be spending a lot more time at home with our partners and a lot more time doing uh, non-restaurant related things. Um, as much as it doesn't stop ticking up in your head, I think we both have realised how important it's been just to, to take our mind off things a little bit more and, and, and focus on what we what we don't get to do too often. So, um, yeah, I, I've, I've really enjoyed being at home with, <laughs> with Tash. She's been, she's been great, so... Yeah. I mean, in a way, I feel like you've, you've, you already built a post COVID restaurant pre COVID because you had, you know, you've got the local thing down, you've got the no waste thing down, you've got the small restaurant happening. I mean, it's, 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 this period has been the first time that a lot of people have really thought about supply chains and, you know, you've seen how fragile some of these, uh, these, the, the whole system of getting food to our plates can be like how we're, we're not that, there are only a few things need to go wrong before the shelves are empty and, you know, you you can't just get write your shopping list blithely and be guaranteed that you're going to be able to fulfil every item on that list. But you guys weren't exactly. working like that anyway. Yeah, well, like even on a couple of points there, like the restaurant obviously moving from next door to the new venue, I said to Blaine, I want a dining room with lots of space. I want no more than eight tables, um, which means we're not doing pretty much more than 20 guests a night anyway. Um, <clears throat> and then our local support has just been phenomenal. Like I I knew we had an amazing local following just because with 99 out of 100 things that we do, the support is there and people are so excited. But I think in these lockdowns I've realized how important our restaurant is to so many people for their, their memories, their celebrations, their, the little things that they really hold close to them. And it's just been amazing to be delivering to people's houses and and having a quick 30 second chat and seeing how excited they are to get this, this dinner um, for their home. And uh, yeah, like everything we've done doing the first boxes and then going into a market and then going into the at home, like the support's just been there right across the board from the, from the local community. And um, yeah, we just, I'm just blown away by it. I absolutely love it. And being obviously growing up in Beaconsfield and, and being around the town for a long time, it's, and it's sort of just like amazing to see that people are so willing to support a small business, a small local business like us. And yeah, I, I can't wait for it to, for the future as well. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I guess, do you want to just describe Beaconsfield for people who haven't been there? Yeah, well, a lot of people think it's very much out of the way and it's um, it's a bit in the middle of nowhere, but it's it's actually quite a beautiful spot where we're situated in a, in a pretty heavy growth corridor um, looking down to like Clyde Way and, and then to Officer and Pakenham. There's a lot of, and even going further to Nanagoon and, and things like that. There's a lot of young families. There's a lot. There actually is a lot of people out our way, but there's no special occasion restaurant. There's nowhere 
that people can get a, an experience like what we're what we're trying to put forward and uh, like we're 45 50 minutes from the city we're 45 minutes from Hillsville we're 45 minutes from Gippsland like we're we're in a really beautiful spot where we can where we can tack onto a lot of different markets we're not we're not too far out of the way um, and in terms of uh, local restaurants and, and wine bars there's there's not that many at all so we're, we're hitting a nice little little market yeah it's a funny it's a funny thing the way that we think about our suburbs and you know Beaconsfield I guess it's it's city fringe and as you describe like it's it, it, there's a lot of urban development around there I mean you can you can get the train there like you know the, the yeah. metro train you, it's right off the freeway like it's super accessible but I think you know we're still pretty snobby about what's possible in the suburbs of our large cities and it's it's a funny thing you know like we love our regions you know like we love the Yarra Valley but you know are we really going to stop on the way to the Yarra Valley do you know what I mean it's like but yeah and I think this five kilometer radius now has shown a lot of people what's in their five kilometres and I think it's it's scared the crap out of a couple of people because they're like, I've got nothing. I've got no nature reserves. I can't walk my dogs anywhere. Uh, and I think if people, like, and I've talked about it a lot with, with friends in the industry about, like, building that local community support is probably one of the most important parts about running a restaurant like ours. Even if it is a fine dining uh, whatever fine dining, if you want to call it fine dining, but if uh, more of a upscaled restaurant, like that community support is is so so important. What would you say is like on an in normal trade? What proportion of customers are local? I'd say probably around eighty percent. Um, wow! Yeah, probably That's probably eighty percent, and it, it differs from in in certain times of the year. Um, and then certain services and things like that. But yeah, our local, it's just now having, because you have like, you have to do all the contact tracing and things like that. You're seeing, it's like, wow, we've got a whole dining room tonight of people from Beaconsfield. This is awesome. <laughs> and it's sort of, <laughs> it's, it's so it's, great. Yeah, it sort of makes you go, oh, that's so cool. And like, they're drinking interesting wines and they're, and they're, they're eating a 90% vegetarian tasting menu and they're going, and they're just losing their mind. And I'm like, this is really cool. <laughs> this is, this is yeah. why we opened a restaurant in the first place. Wow, that must be such a good, a good feeling. And just um, tell people, like, it's how much is the tasting menu and how many courses would people expect to have? Uh, oh, God, I can't even think of – I don't even know what the price is. It's been so long since I've served, served anyone. <laughs> I, think <it's, laughs> I think it's 185 a head. Um, for the for the food, and then we have um, matching options, both alcoholic, non-alcoholic, and um, a combination of the two. And then it varies. The tasting menu varies between twelve and twenty-two items. Um, Blaine can change that on us on the day. He sometimes changes it halfway through service. Um, the joys <laughs> the joys of what we do is we don't print a menu. You don't know what's coming out. If you tell us you don't like something beforehand, we'll avoid it. But it's really about never knowing what's next um, on the plate, and uh, yeah, it keeps keeps things very interesting. And it also makes return guests excited because they're getting new menus every time. Yeah, there's always a reason to come back. I suppose the seasons are always changing. Um, one thing we haven't talked too much about, which is a massive part of what you do, is the whole preserving side of things. 
Um, and I guess what I'd love people who are listening to this to get out of it, you know, not everyone's got a farm and not everyone happened to set up their restaurant in a, you know, suburban community where there is nothing else like like, like them. Well, I'm, mm. I'd love people to come out of it with um, some ideas about what, what could they do to create a bit something that's a bit more a bit more anchored, a bit more local, maybe a bit more a bit more seasonal. Um, and I wonder if we could start that discussion by you just talking through your approach to preserving. Yeah, well, I think with Blaine in, in terms of how he looks at farming in particular is, and and no wastage is probably the most important part, is we're, if we're getting produce in the door from the farm, we we have to use it. There's, it's not going in the bin. We refuse to put it in the bin. Um, so for us, it's always just trying to, maximize every part of the ingredient and like to be honest sometimes our pickling and preserving of things just don't work but we've tried it and it might go later down the track where you're like oh wow kohlrabi stems are really good pickled (laughs) but Mm -hmm. they might be shit (laughs) and i think (laughs) you don't know until you've done it and i think for us it's, it's just trying to show full respect to the ingredient um and pickling preserving is a massive part of uh the way we cook uh Bain's this very much, and same with me when putting it with wine, we love salt and pickles. Like we love that combination of flavor, that fat, salt, pickle um, combination. And you'll probably see it on three or four different dishes or, or flavor combinations in the night. But showing the current season and then the seasons that have come before uh, and, and, and tying those together on a tasting menu, it's, it's quite wonderful to see because – you remember that day you picked those tiny little green tomatoes before they ripened, but then you're putting them on a dish with fresh tomatoes that you picked that day. It's it's a it's mm. a really it's a real it's like a, a really nice approach to to flavor combinations, but it, it's a really nice story to tell in, uh, at the table as well. Yeah, well, I guess anyone anywhere can preserve things and create that connection. They might not have grown the food, but they can be the one that's put it in the jar or the bottle, can't they? Yeah, and I think like these days it, it's getting easier and easier to find the fresh food in your your area. It's um, like finding that point of eating seasonal as much as you can I think is just such an important thing. Um, like for example, at home we've been getting a, a, a box of vegetables even though we've got the farm but as a local farmer just over the road from, from me and – and we get a box of vegetables every week and it's like Christmas. We're so excited. There's, and they're, they're not all perfect. They're, some of them are ugly. Some of them are got spots and, and, and bots. But we just go, oh, this is so cool. Okay, we're, gonna, we're so excited. To, and, and we've been pickling and preserving at home because if we're not going to use it all in, in that week, there will be – we pickle and preserve things and uh, make chutneys and jams and so on. But I think it's just trying to – elongating that fresh produce and using it as much as you can uh, is so so important and it's it's like been a massive uh, eye-opening even for me just for the last seven years just seeing how how much you can actually get from from one product Mm. and what about community like do you have any um anything that you've learned or that you could pass on about you know how to nurture the community that you're in um yeah, I, I really, for us, it's just trying not to make too much noise. We just don't want to make, we don't want to give anyone any reason to not enjoy our restaurant. 
Um, we never ever wanted to be too far fetched that people would be kind of nervous to go there. Uh, so like that even comes down to the the service approach. Like I I can't be any different <laughs> to what I am. I I don't really have <laughs> a filter. I don't I, I I talk to people like I if I the same in the dining room as I would down the street. And I think that's a big part of things um, in dining at Omai is just like, and you hear it from a lot of locals as well. They're like, oh, I was really worried that it was going to be snooty and I'd be called sir or madame. And I'm like, oh yeah, nah, that's not going to happen here. I'm so, I can't, I can't do that. <laughs> and, uh, and just like, we've invited um, locals into the, into the bar. And uh, if we know people, you go, we always look after people as well. Like that's the thing. If people, Really digging our restaurant, we're always going to look after him. If that's a loaf of bread to take home after after dinner, uh, or um, if there's a bottle of wine open that they liked, I usually hand it to them. Um, for me, it's just like you, I want it to be a place that, and as Blaine's the same, we want it to be a place that our local community really get behind. And if we ever need anything from them, they'll they'll come running to help. And and this pandemic's been a, a perfect example of that. Oh, it's funny. It actually makes me remember stories you told me about building the second restaurant where you are now and just about how, like, some guy, like, brought some – knocked down – what did he do? He chopped down a tree and brought it in and suddenly you were making a table out of it or some crazy story <laughs> like that. I walked, into the, was... I walked into the new restaurant one day and it was, like, four or five different guests all helping us renovate. And I'm like, I've never seen you guys all in the same room before. This is really weird. I all know you through, through my, obviously through the job, but it was, it's just crazy. And people throwing business cards at us going, if you need anything, just call us. We'll come do it at any time. Uh, like, yeah, people were chopping down trees and making bowls for us and going, can you use this in the restaurant? And I'm like, yeah, we'd love it. And then in two days later, he comes back with 20 more. And we're like, okay, <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> so... Yeah, it's 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 so interesting, especially on that on the renovations, which feels like years ago that we did that did the move, but yeah, uh, yeah, and we got more renovations in- coming in the next couple of days. Oh, what are you doing? Oh, we're gonna. It's not really on the download now, but uh, we're gonna be opening a bottle <laughs> shop, uh, like an interactive bottle shop, um, something that I've really wanted to do for a while, and um, a, a way for me to support. Um, people in the, in the wine industry more than I more than I can right now and um, yeah I got some pretty fun little ideas with that and I think the area will really needs something um, something like that where the wine's a bit different and the service is a bit different in a bottle shop so okay interesting well I don't know when you say interactive <laughs> bottle shop it makes me think uh, but everyone's in masks and uh, then I want to ask you I, what do you think like uh, coming out of um, this second lockdown what do you think hospitality in Melbourne is going to look like and are you doing anything different to to meet that challenge yeah I think it's going to look incredibly different I think um, especially looking at uh, venues that have massive amounts of turnover every night of of hundreds of guests going through the door and seating people shoulder to shoulder. I just don't, I just can't see that being a reality anytime soon. Um, I think, I think the outdoor dining thing is going to be quite interesting. I think if you've, if you've lived in Melbourne long enough, you know that there's no, (laughs) there's no guarantee on the weather at all. So 
that's gonna... <laughs> if you've lived in Melbourne for one day, you know there are four seasons. So. <laughs> exactly right. Like it's just it's it's hard. But I uh, the thing is, you got to be patient. You got to be understanding. Um, I think people are going to be a lot different. I think the actual guests are going to be. I think they've realised. I think guests of I know personally. I've really missed restaurants, and I think for a long time. Maybe people have taken it for granted, potentially. I'm not speaking for everyone here, but I think people have really missed going out to restaurants and I think they've really missed that connection and that feeling you get at a restaurant. Um, and I just think the, the, I, I, the guest attitude towards a restaurant uh, will, will change for the better. I think there's going to be a lot more uh, respect there. There's going to be a lot more patience. There's going to be a, a lot more understanding um, because it's not going to be easy to reopen the restaurant and run it in in uh, the COVID times. But uh, people really want to get out and people really want to eat some dinner and, and have a glass of wine. So yeah, they're going to hopefully be a, a little bit more understanding and patient about what we're trying to do. Yeah, well, I certainly um, hope that you are right and by saying it, you make it happen. Um, Chase, uh, just finally, I want to uh, talk to you about a podcast that I listened to recently and obviously I um, start every day by listening to Deep in the Weeds by my stable mate, Anthony Huckstep. Um, I don't usually listen to my own podcasts, but I did listen to, um, I went off piste and listened to a Desert Island Discs and it was with Michelle and Albert Rue who are uh, chef brothers. Um, it was from 1986 and the rapport between them was so extraordinary and by listening to them talk about favourite records um, and a little bit about their past, you could really see how it was possible for them. They spoke for one another. Um, they just had such a gentle, funny way of being together and I wonder, is, uh, is it always roses with you and Blaine? <laughs> You know what, like, everyone always says, geez, you must get under each other's skin. In fairness, I get under everyone's skin because I'm the younger brother, so I'm always, <laughs> and, and I'm the one who talks all the time, so I'm always under everyone's skin. But Blaine and I, I think in, especially in the last probably four or five years, the respect level that we've, we've got for each other is just, like, out of this world because... We both see each other like I'm trying to be better than him and he's trying to be better than me and but we're both striving for the same outcome for our restaurant. Like we're both pushing our hardest to get better and pushing like really trying to involve everyone in what we're doing and like this isn't our restaurant. This is everyone who's in that restaurant who works there. It's 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 everyone's. We want everyone to feel like that. We have our tips and you have your arguments, you have your disagreements. Um, but it usually just comes with a, a clink of a glass after service and, and, and uh, maybe you'll come over and watch the footy and we'll both yell, yell at Carlton losing again to, to just um, to realise that we're brothers and uh, we do love each other. And <laughs> we, we, like, it's not all bad. Like, we have the same mentality. We've got the same sense of humour, same taste in wine and the, the same taste in music. So we're, 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 pretty, we're pretty, pretty much the same people, but he's just very good at cooking. <laughs> Great. Well, I look forward to hearing your Desert Island Discs one day. And I did not know that you guys were fellow Carlton supporters. Um, yeah. I mean, please, mate, is it is it ever going to happen? <laughs> it's been well, such a see, tough road for us. I'm I'm 26, um, so I've 
only ever known loss of Carlton. I've only ever known us being um, subpar. I think I watched the 95 grand final. I think I, I was probably asleep the whole time when I was, what, 18 months old. Um, <laughs> okay. So ever since then, it's just been a mess for me. But God, I love him. Um, That's I, I, right. I bought a membership. I'm going to buy another one next year, even though I can't ever get to a game. But I'll, I, I do love the Blues. <laughs> Well, no Victorian can get to a Carlton game this season. But anyway, um, Chase, it's been an absolute pleasure and can't wait till my um, uh, there is no kilometre limit and I can get back to the restaurant and uh, experience the Oh My Wonder. Um, thank you so much for your time today. Really, really fantastic to chat. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We wanna hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.